Hello again. Welcome to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Chris Panetta. As always, we're in studio, downtown Salem, home to Groundwork, a leadership institute, which we started about a year ago. The goal was to raise the tide of leaders in our community. We already have great leaders now, but we wanted to be intentional in cultivating and producing great leaders always. Next year, the year after that, next five years, next 10 years, next 20 years. And so we created this institute. Now, this institute is, I think, unlike any other of its existence. We do not exist because we're trying to make money. We do not exist because we have some hidden agenda. Really, our hope is to specifically improve our community by investing in leaders. And so we formed this institute around the idea of shared knowledge. And we have a core framework that we go by soil, seeds, and weeds, which we've been discussing in this podcast and various episodes. And that's what everything is centered and structured around. But we have a belief that shared knowledge is important, which is why we created this podcast, to be able to interview leaders here in the community, leaders that we know, leaders that we don't know, and leaders outside of our community and learn from them, glean from their knowledge and their experience, their insight, their failures, their successes. Hence, Groundwork of Leadership Institute. So that's a little bit about what we do for any of you who are tuning in just right now. We've only produced a few episodes so far, and a few of them have been me, and I apologize, it's just me, uh, talking about and explaining our key framework, which is soil around soil, seeds, and weeds, this analogy uh, from the earth. Now, we're not gardeners, we're not farmers, but we believe strongly in that analogy, and we believe that leadership and change and community and organizations that if they take on that lens, that they improve drastically. And soil being the people, okay, being our mindset, culture and climate, all right? Seeds being the things that we do, the initiatives that we, we plant, the programs that we deploy, the innovation that we, that we try to accomplish, okay? The seeds, the things that we do. And the weeds, of course, the barriers that get in the way, the conflict that erupts, the noxious weeds that sometimes take over our soil. There's a lot to digest with all of those specific categories, and there's a lot to learn from it. And there's a lot of current and existing curriculum out there, current and existing philosophy and theory around leadership that fits right in to that framework. So we spent time dissecting each of these. Previous episodes, I've talked about soil. I've shared a couple of stories. We've done an episode on what seeds are, and we're still thinking through a lot of what this all means Okay, again, we're not claiming to know it all. We're just thinking through these problems and we're inviting you to be on our journey with us. But today, as I was coming into office, I wanted to share a story about seeds because seeds are things that we're constantly thinking of. I mean, every, every leader thinks of a new idea or a new thing to deploy or a new product, a new program, a new initiative, especially at the community level. There's a lot of initiatives, a lot of programs, a lot of services. Okay, those are all seeds. Those are all seeds. And sometimes those seeds bear good fruit. Sometimes we get good results. Sometimes we get the outcomes that we hoped for, but not always. And how could we ensure that our seed actually gets planted, that our initiative or program is successful, that it gets rooted into the soil? And so really what we've discovered and something that we're continuing to think through, but we're getting really close, is that the idea of seeds and coming up with the right seed, of being innovative, of being creative, really isn't a matter of the seed itself, of the idea itself. It's really a matter of the soil in which we are going to plant it in, okay? So if that makes sense, which I'm hoping it does, let me share a story that I believe can connect 
this dot of where I'm thinking and uh, allow you along this journey of what soil might mean for you, what's the soil for your own leadership, for your organization, for your community. So several years ago, I was working for a peace building center. And as you work for a peace building center, you look for opportunities to build peace. And there's a lot of opportunities to build peace in our world. And specifically at this moment, when I was working here, there was the Ferguson shooting that happened. Okay. The incident in Ferguson, young man was, was killed by police officer, racial tension, like it is now erupted. Okay. Everybody goes to their side of this conflict. And oftentimes the conflict no longer becomes about the injustice or the, uh, the act itself. Rather, it becomes a lot more. Okay. And there's a lot that people carry into it. And if you, you know, you study conflict, you know, that the dynamics become, um, vast. So you can't just engage in a conflict like this in a, in a challenge like this and just go into a community like Ferguson and say, all right, you let's figure this out. All right, police officers and inner city, inner city youth and families, let's sit down at the table and figure this out. It just doesn't work that way. And when conflict is this high, one thing you have to do is you have to wait. You, you can't just go in and start to build peace right away. You just, things have to be managed and figured out um, at the surface before we can start to get to a grassroots level. And so we, we realized we have to wait, but we started to get partners on board and it took us about a year to do all of the above, which was to get the right partners, create a plan and execute on this project. So what happened is we got, we got a few people involved. We got Peace Players International involved. Now they teach sport to kids and youth all throughout the world in places like Cyprus, South Africa, Northern Ireland, Israel, okay? Places where kids and people actually grow up hating the other side. And they teach these kids sport in an effort to bridge these divides, and they're really good at it. They're very successful. And a curriculum that they use is actually part of the Arbinger Institute, which we talk a lot about on this podcast. They teach Arbinger principles, principles like what it means to see others as people versus objects, and how to go about, you know, unpacking the problem of self-deception and what to do about it and what it means when, you, when we do see someone as a person, what does it mean? What does that mean and require from us? So they, they actually teach kids that through, through sports and through drills. That's incredible. It's not a classroom setting where they're drawing up diagrams, they're actually playing games and teaching kids these really valuable, important lessons. And imagine a place like Israel, okay, a conflict that goes back hundreds of years. Okay, it's scriptural for, for some of these folks. And it's serious and it's no joke, but through a basketball program, they're helping communities come together because they're teaching a basic principle of what it means to see the other side as a person and incredible things happen. And the risk that some of these kids take in doing that is high, but it's so powerful. So we got peace players involved for various reasons. We thought that through sport, we can help bridge some divides specifically between law enforcement, and inner city kids. Okay. The kids that are likely going to be on the street in relation of some degree with these police officers and their families. Okay, so we got peace players involved and we got the Arbinger Institute involved and now we needed a law enforcement entity, okay? We, we, we needed some in and so we went to Kansas City because it was, you know, it's a big police department. It's not Ferguson, but it's close enough that it could reach there. And we went to Kansas City PD because we had some relationships there and we went to their PAL unit. Now, if you don't know anything about PAL, it stands for Police Athletic League. And what it is, in most cases, it's not always like this, but what it is, is it's in cities, usually larger inner, inner cities, and it's organized and it's ran by police officers. Like they're assigned to that unit. There's a PAL unit. And those police officers become the coaches of various sports. And it's meant to get some kids, you know, off the streets, out of gangs, out of that life 
and doing something like sports where they can learn different principles, have fun, be around, you know, uh, other kids. Okay. And have positive influence and, and, and again, build relationships with police officers. So we thought that's a great avenue to use curriculum like peace players and to get police officers and kids interacting. And so we thought, let's go in, let's train these police officers in outward mindset material, which is from the Arbinger Institute, and let's train them how to be coaches in the peace players format. So the basics about being a peace players coach. Okay. And so we did that. And at the end of the week, the goal was we're going to have a sports clinic and it's going to be a free sports clinic and we're going to open it to all of the PAL kids, which are those inner city kids. So as I refer to the PAL kids, that's what I mean, the inner city kids and their friends and their family. And we're also going to open it up to police officers and to bring their kids. So you can see, right, this is what in peace building you call a superordinate goal. We're trying to get people together, okay, that are typically in conflict, thinking about complete something completely separate from the actual conflict. That was the idea. All right. Very grassroots. So we planned for months. Like I said, we executed on it, spent all week. And I was the representative that went out from this peace building center, spent all week with these officers. It was fantastic. Got to know them really well, really helped actually change my paradigm and an idea of how I saw law enforcement. Uh, but then at the end of the week was where this big event happened. And there was several news stations that that showed up. I mean, it was a big deal. Several hundred kids in this gym. It was packed. All the PAL kids, you could see the tension in the air Okay, when they arrived because all the PAL kids and the little family that they had uh, with them, because many of them come from single parent households and their parents are working. So they just showed up. All right. And they're all on one side of the gym. Then police officers show up and all their kids are on the other side of the gym. And so, boom, we need a, here's opportunity to start integrating and start to, you know, start these pairing drills. Now, let me explain what we first started doing. So we do these pairing, like I mentioned, pairing drills. Very simple. There's a cone about 10 yards away. You grab a basketball and you have two kids come together. They hold the basketball together, one hand on each side of the ball, and they have to hold it up together. And they walk to the cone 10 yards, 10 yards away and back, getting to know each other, telling them each other's name and so on. And then after that, they have to put the ball in between their hips and do the same thing. So the side of their hip. So, you know, I, if I'm on the right and my, my partner's on the left, we have to balance the ball in between our hips. And then the last one is they get down a defensive stance and they have to balance this ball in between, not balance, they really have to hold it in between their foreheads, right? So forehead against ball against forehead and they're sometimes staring each other in the eyes and awkwardly, you know, going really slowly to not let the ball drop down to the cone and back. So they're kind of silly drills. I mean, for older kids, right? Younger kids, you know, they'll do whatever, but older kids, it's kind of silly. So all of these older pal kids that we really wanted to participate, okay. And in, in this inner city, I mean, all just for the sake of you understand, you know, picturing what it is that's happening, all of them are, are, you know, kids of color and the police officers, there's a lot of police officers of color as well, but several of them are white and their kids are white. And so we're trying to, you know, get these great moments to happen. And me specifically, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was, I was just wanting this to be successful. I was wanting this to, to be successful. I was wanting to look good. I wanted this to be the picture perfect moment where here's proof we're bridging divides, right? That was where my mentality was. So I'm desperately trying to get some of these older pal kids, but they're up in the bleachers not participating. They're not being forced to participate, but they're kind of laughing and scoffing at us and, you know, thinking that this is kind of stupid. I could tell they don't really want to be there, but they're there because probably I thought because we're giving a pizza at the end and, you know, we're having fun. So I thought, you know, they're, they're here for those reasons. They don't even care. And then the police officer's kids, 
the older ones, they're only participating for one reason and one reason only because their parent is on the side making them do it, right? So we have this weird dynamic of only the younger kids that are really small, that don't have any idea what's going on. They're just running around that, you know, you can give them directions, but they don't really do it because they're just there to mess around. And it's chaos. I mean, there's hundreds of kids and adults in crammed in this gym. I mean, it is absolute chaos. So I'm desperately trying to get people to participate in this this pairing drill, a simple pairing drill, so that we can snap a photo and this looks good and it, you know, it and it it meets our requirement of what we hoped for. Okay. So I'm telling some of these kids, hey, come down and help us out. And they don't want to. This little girl is in line waiting. And again, I'm gonna explain what she looked like so that you can be there with me, kind of imagine this. She's one of the captain's daughters in the in the KCPD. Okay. She's probably seven years old. Okay, really small. All right. She has bright, bright blonde hair. It's like almost white that it's so blonde. All right. And her bright blue eyes. And she's just standing there staring straight up at me, waiting for her turn. And there's nobody else in the line. And and I, I'm thinking, okay, let's get one of these pal kids. So I'm waving to those older kids up, come down and help me. They're kind of like brushing me off, you know, putting their hands up in the air, like, nah, 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 nah. They, I could tell they don't want to. And I'm getting frustrated, like, come on, kids, you know. Uh, but they're not doing it. Finally, one of them raises their hand, and I think he's doing it for two reasons. Because he wants to mess with me, and maybe part of him felt bad, so he's participating. But I mainly thought the first, that he was just trying to mess with me. All right, now let me explain what this individual looked like, so you can, again, see and be there with me. He's probably about six five. Okay, he's really tall, and he's African-American. He's got long hair. Okay, and he walks over and he says, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> so I, I give him directions. And I, again, I'm thinking the whole time, don't you mess with me, man. Like this is, don't, don't mess with me. Just do this, please. Just make this one thing work for me. And so he does it. They grab the ball and they walk really slowly down and back and they're saying each other's name. And I'm like, okay, he's doing it. His buddies are all laughing at him. Okay. They're all making jokes and, and pointing fingers at him. And, and it's like, he's zoning them out. And I'm like, okay, maybe this kid's, you know, he's actually doing it. I mean, he's, you know, he's not, he's not trying to mess with me or, or, or ruin this. And so I'm, I'm like waving over to some cameraman, like, Hey, come in, no camera people. Hey, come in, come and capture this moment. Right. And so they walk down to the cone and back then they, they do the hip one. Right. But of course her shoulders are where his hip is so that that doesn't go very well, but they try it and they're laughing together. And I'm like, wow, this is so incredible. Right. And then they do the last one. And I was amazed. He squat. He squats really deep so he can get down to eye level with her. They put the ball in between their foreheads and they go slowly down to this cone and back. And the ball drops several times, but they keep going. And she keeps turning bright red because you can tell she's, you know, she's just nervous. And, and he's laughing and I'm like, wow, this is really just what a great moment. What a great moment. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, this is so awesome. Like people are going to think that I am the best. You know, I'm, I'm making it about me, which in the back of my mind, I'm making it about me. I'm so successful. This is going to be so good to share this wonderful story of this magnificent thing that happened. Okay. And, and they, they finish, they come back, they give me the ball and she immediately runs away, you know, like out of, you know, like young kids do when they're really shy or, or, you know, or embarrassed, uh, but she can tell she's so happy and she runs to her dad who was watching everything. Okay. This, this police officer full, you know, patrol gear on, she runs over, grabs his leg, and gives him a hug, okay? And I'm thinking, oh, that's a cute moment. And as I'm watching this unfold from behind me, this young man walks right past me, and I want to, like, tell him thanks, but he doesn't even pay attention to me. He just keeps walking over to this little girl, and she doesn't see that he's coming, 
her dad sees that he's approaching, but she doesn't see because her back's facing, you know, her, her back's towards him. And he gets down on one knee right behind her. She still doesn't know he's there. And he gently taps her shoulder. And she turns around and she sees that it him, she sees that it's him. And her face turns bright red. Okay, and he puts his hand up. This young man puts his hand up for a high five. And she doesn't give him a high five. Instead, she jumps up two arms right around his neck and gives him a huge hug. Okay, now it's at this moment that somebody's heart started to change in that gym that day. And it was mine. I started to realize the problem that I had, which was a problem of my soil. It was a problem of my perspective. It's a problem of my mindset. And that this seed, if we wanted it to work, that I can't just sit and hope that other people's hearts change, but I need to change mine first. And it was in that moment when she jumps up around this young man's neck and pulls him in for a tight hug, and then he stands up and holds her for a second. And I wasn't close enough, I couldn't hear what they were saying back and forth, but he just says a few things to her that I began to just be blown away, blown away by the humanity of people before me. And after that, after, after you know she gave him a hug, he sits her down, and now he looks at her father, this police officer who was watching all of this. He looks at him in the eyes and they shake each other's hands. And this police officer actually pulls him in and embraces him. And I don't know what they spoke about, but they stood there for about five minutes and had a conversation. Now my heart's really changed. Now I've realized that I was making this about me and not about the purpose and the reason and them. And I witnessed this incredible interaction, one of the most incredible interactions that I've seen. And it even though my the, my memory beforehand was complete chaos in that gym, noise everywhere, people running around. In that moment, it was like everything stood still. It was it was just silent for a second as this interaction un, under unfolded. And I realized, you know, these these three individuals, this man, his daughter, and this young man, probably would have never met in a dynamic where this would been would have been possible. And so, how great of a seed this was! But I quickly went back to this doesn't work. If people like me, me first, and people like me are not first willing to change themselves because the problems that we experience with seeds where they don't work, it's not actually a problem of the seed. It's a problem of the soil in which it's planted. It's a problem of the mindset of those that are trying to execute on the program, on the initiative, on the idea. Toxic soil and the wrong mindset hinders innovation. It gets in the way. And it was getting really close to hindering that night for me and the potential that the impact that I had. I was one of three facilitators that were running this thing, okay? And this was me, and I'm running this. And if this is my mentality, how do you, how successful do you think the rest of the night was going to go if I didn't change my mentality and understand why I was really there and face the imperfections that I have? Now, that project was so successful there. By not, and I'm not claiming any credit for that, but it was successful. Regardless of my imperfections, it was successful. And uh, Nike eventually, a couple of years later, ended up funding this and taking it on. And now this same initiative, same idea, concept is in major inner cities across the United States. And in a time like now, we need more seeds like that. But more importantly than the seeds that we need, we need more people willing to change and cultivate the soil. And remember, cultivating the soil is changing us first and then changing how we see others around us, seeing them as people that matter deeply seeing them, seeing others as beloved and worthy of our love. That's cultivating the soil. And all the seeds that we think of, no matter how great they are, they won't work until we do that. Just like this one, just like this seed of this project, this initiative I'm telling you about, I'm confident that it wouldn't have worked if the people executing on it 
weren't ready to change their own soil. We do that. We can start to change the soil around us. We can start to bring people together. We need more and more and more of that. So as we come off the last episode of me describing what seeds are and how I'm still thinking through that, and we're thinking through, you know, how do we go about navigating and describing this curriculum and this framework? I hope that that story helps, not only because perhaps it's relevant to our time that we're in now, but to get to the idea, and I'll say this again, I've said it a few times, but I'll keep saying it, that when we struggle with ideas working, initiatives working, programs working, products being successful, we need to start asking ourselves, perhaps it's not the problem of the, the seed. Perhaps it's not a problem of the idea or the initiative or the program or the product itself. Rather, maybe it's a problem of the soil. And I first need to look at my own, and then I look at my organization, and I ultimately, at a community level, on a large scale, I need to look at my community's soil. We need to cultivate the soil in our community if we want seeds to take root and to bear fruit. And fruit being the results that we want, the outcomes that we want, the impact that we want. And not that we want, but the impact that needs to happen, and the outcomes that need to happen for the betterment of others. I hope that's helpful. Again, this is Chris Panetta, host of the Rooted Leadership Podcast here in Salem, Oregon. Have a great day. Until next time. See ya.